Chapter 4, Signals. Before we get into the next part of the temperaments framework, may I ask you a question? Does it seem unreasonable that you, the grown-up, should have to change your communication approach when it comes to your child? For a lot of my clients, this is a really big hurdle. You might have been raised in a household where children were, quote, to be seen and not heard. Maybe your parents demanded obedience with statements like, because I said so, or don't question me, just do what I say. Nobody asked your opinion. Nobody treaded lightly around your feelings. For some people, like Reds or those who are raised in a reddish household, the idea of putting a child's innate needs first can be a tough pill to swallow. If that's you, I completely understand. But can I push back a little? If your current approach were working, I'm guessing you would not be listening to this book. You likely would not be stuck in a merry-go-round of frustrating behaviors and ineffective punishments with the children around you. I'm suggesting an alternative, one I've seen work for the 30 years I've been teaching it. If what you've listened to so far gives rise to pushback, stick with me. I have some advice specifically for you at the end of this chapter. In the last chapter, we talked about the innate needs of each temperament. I made a case that children are wired for these innate needs from birth, and I gave you some examples of how they have been likely trying to fill them ever since. Ideally, a child's love tank is full, allowing them to operate in their strengths. A yellow child goes out of her way to encourage her brother who failed at a math test. A red child rallies the neighborhood boys to rake leaves for a neighbor in need. A blue student uses thoughtful analysis to solve a problem and leads his robotic team to first place. A green teenager patiently coaches a kindergartner who's learning to read. In these moments, a child's in the zone being the very best versions of themselves. These glimpses of potential are what inspires us to stay on course. They are also the perfect opportunities to affirm their strengths. A friend of mine says, what gets rewarded gets repeated. So when you see a child speaking or behaving in a way that showcases their strengths, acknowledge it out loud. In part two of the book, there's a section titled, Say This, Not That, and it will give you the exact words to say. Unfortunately, these moments when a child is at their very best can be few and far between. So let's talk about what happens when children aren't operating in their strengths and are instead choosing weaknesses. Like when a red child realizes no one is doing what she's telling them despite her repeated commands and rising temper. Or when a blue child's need for sensitivity is continuously overlooked because he's withdrawn or remote. What happens then when even the weaknesses don't work? Every temperament sends off a unique signal when their tank is empty. Just like a warning light in your car letting you know it's time to fill up, The child's signal is letting you know their love tank needs a fill-up. You, the grown-up, have some work to do. 
let's talk about what these signals are for each temperament. Are you familiar with the phrase buttering up? That's a simplified way to explain what happens when the yellows don't get attention, affection, approval, or acceptance. Yellows signal with charm and flattery. Charm looks or sounds like elaborating or exaggerating, being over the top. Flattery looks or sounds phony. They may also excessively praise others. You might be thinking, wait, charm can be a good thing, right? Of course it can. So can flattery when used appropriately. To understand the version of these behaviors I'm talking about, think of a yellow strengths, weaknesses, and signals as a continuum. A yellow child's actions are more or less the same in all three stages. But the amplitude and desperation are cranked up bit by bit. For example, a child who is a great storyteller in their strengths gets louder and starts interrupting in their weaknesses. If that still doesn't work, they'll signal by taking it to an extreme and talking so much that no one can get a word in edgewise. The action is the same, it just gets inflated. A yellow sanguine signals are essentially exaggerated, unpleasant versions of their strengths. I sat down with a few yellow kids to talk about how they respond when they aren't getting what they need. You can watch the video on my YouTube channel. Just search for yellow signals on my page. The tricky part of these signals is that grown-ups often react to the increasingly needy behavior of a yellow child by becoming stingier with the very things the child needs. You are not likely to give attention or affection to a child who's flattering you with phony compliments. You won't include or approve of a child who's disrupting your class with over-the-top antics. So how do you know when these compliments are genuine? or when they're manipulative. It all boils down to motive. And we'll get to that a bit later. For now, on to the reds. You won't have to wonder if a red is getting loyalty, sense of control, credit for work, or appreciation that they need. Their signals are hard to miss. Reds signal with tone and volume. Tone sounds or looks like harsh or biting comments. Volume looks or sounds like angry outbursts or yelling. Harsh or biting comments do not usually fall on deaf ears. And volume, well, it's tough to tune out. So on a positive note, you'll clearly know when a red child's love tank needs filling. It's obvious that something's going on when they yell at their siblings or cut down their classmate with a sharp comment. The challenge is not powering up, which I'll admit is tricky. The red signals can feel so disrespectful that most adults can hardly help bowing up and saying things like, don't speak to me that way, or watch your tone. The key is remembering that although their feelings typically read as anger, there's usually more going on. Emotions like disappointment, embarrassment, or insecurity might be behind the signals you're seeing. The Red Signals video on my YouTube channel has some red children explaining from their perspective. 
you'll notice that as they get older, it's much easier for them to articulate the why behind what they're doing. Young red kids just seem to scream. Now that you've seen what the red signals look like, what's the best way to respond when you're on the receiving end? I'll give you three steps, but first, let's look at the other two sets of signals. A blue's signals are much less intense, but no less noticeable than a red's tone and volume. What's wrong? Nothing. Did something happen at school? No, just leave me alone. Why are you sad? The child shrugs and walks off. Blue kids do not use words, but they still make it obvious when they're not getting the safety, sensitivity, support, or space and silence they need. Blues signal with moods and silence. Moods sound or look like being judgmental, critical, or self-deprecating. Silence can look like being disengaged or unwilling to talk to or hear from others. You might notice the irony. Three of their four needs, safety, sensitivity, and support, are most often filled by other people. Yet their signals send the opposite message. Their disengaged silence communicates, go away. I don't want to talk. Leave me alone. So which is it? Are you supposed to offer support or give them space? Say something sensitive or wait till they're ready to talk? How do you fill a blue child's innate needs when their signals tell you to stay away? You can see it's easy to end up in this maddening loop with a blue child. Maybe you've experienced it firsthand. If so, the way these blue children signal will be familiar to you. Do you see that heading up to their room is a signal? Recognizing the behavior for what it is an indicator that your child's love tank is empty. It allows you to address the problem or the innate need without being fooled by the symptom or the bad mood. Let's take a look at how greens signal that their innate needs are running low. No matter the urgency of others, green children move at a deliberate pace. Their sense of calm is really a superpower. However, when their innate needs, harmony, feeling of worth, lack of stress, or respect aren't filled, they will push calm to the extreme by stubbornly refusing to take action, any action at all. Greens signal with procrastination and stubbornness. Procrastination can look or sound like delaying or ignoring responsibilities. And stubbornness, refusing to converse or compromise. If you're tracking along with the videos on YouTube, you heard my friend Rachel talk about how Saturday mornings were a guaranteed trigger for procrastination when she was a kid. Every Saturday before she left for work, Rachel's mom gave her a list of chores to accomplish. The expectation? These chores better be completed by the time I get home. Except it was Saturday, the only day that Rachel could relax and watch Saturday morning cartoons. Kids back in the 80s had it tough. So she did what any green kid would do. 
she put off the chores in favor of a laid-back morning or filling her innate need of lack of stress. Can you guess how mom felt about this when she returned home from work? Signaling with procrastination can become a self-perpetuating problem for a green. Listen to the way the green kids I sat down with describe it on my YouTube channel. Search for green signals. Green children will seem just as exhausted by their procrastination as we are. They simply can't help doing it. Because they are wired to avoid stress, they procrastinate. Grown-ups see the procrastination and respond by nagging. The nagging increases the stress and the cycle repeats. There is a way out of this aggravating pattern, not just with green kids, but anytime you see a signal from a child. Let me walk you through these steps. Whether I'm working with parents, teachers, or coaches, there is a universal tendency to move to punishment when we see these signals. We want to correct, fix, or eliminate the behavior. If you scream one more time, you are going to your room. This almost never works. The reason the signal is going off in the first place is because your child's innate needs are not being met. How does punishment or correction fill their needs? It doesn't. But it will tear a child down, build a relational wall, and quite frankly, frustrate you. If you send a red child to their room because of an angry outburst, they are not up there changing their heart. They're up there plotting revenge. You say, go to your room and think about what you've done to your yellow child. And when you go in to check on them 30 minutes later and ask, well, have you had time to think about it? They'll respond with, think about what? How about we try something different? The next time a red child raises their voice, a yellow child hijacks a conversation, a blue goes silent, or a green digs their heels in, I want you to pause. Listen, let me repeat that. I want you to pause. Pause rather than react to the what. Your goal is to respond to the why. How do you do that? Number one, validate their feelings. See the signal for what it is. Yes, their behavior might be unpleasant, disruptive, or disrespectful. You can circle back and correct that later. For now, the most effective and efficient way to get the child back on track is to address what's causing the signal. And that means acknowledging and validating their feelings, the feelings that have pushed them to this point. Number two, compliment their strengths. As the grown-up, you can remind the child of the strengths that they were wired with that could apply to their current situation. Redirect them to a better way to get what they need other than the weaknesses of the signals. And number three, speak their language. Look around for context. The signal is telling you that the child's running low on one of their innate needs. Which need is their signal connected to? And what can you do or say to begin filling that innate need or building the child up? Imagine the impact it would have on a child 
if you chose to respond this way? What if a teacher understood that Mikey, a six-year-old yellow, wasn't intentionally trying to disrupt the class? What if she knew that knee-bobbing and wiggling in his chair was simply part of his wiring? Maybe instead of repeated punishments like missing recess or silent lunch, she would find a different way to help him manage these weaknesses. She might let Mikey lead the class in a silly stretch first thing in the morning. She might let him stand in the back of the room or sit on a yoga ball. Perhaps the teacher would explain to the other kids that not everybody needs to move like Mikey. It is just what works best for him, and that is perfectly okay. Without consideration of Mikey's wiring, he'll hear things like, sit still, you're disturbing the class, your classmates can't concentrate with you wiggling. Hearing those words year after year will shape Mikey's self-image. He'll start to think, I am distracting. I am obnoxious. People don't want to be around me. This narrative will continuously push Mikey into his weaknesses and signals. Because what do we know about yellows? They want people's attention. They want to be invited and accepted. Can you see the unhealthy cycle this perpetuates? The teacher who gets it responds to the why rather than reacting to the what. That teacher has a unique opportunity to help Mikey build confidence and realize he is wonderful just the way he is. He'll grow into adulthood without dragging any unnecessary emotional baggage with him. I don't know about you, but I'd rather my words leave a wake of contentment, self-confidence, and authenticity than be the words that still sting years later. When I teach this concept to my grown-up clients, I refrain from using the word signals. Instead, we talk about it as manipulation, which feels worse. But think about it. Adults resort to tone and volume, mood and silence, procrastination and stubbornness, or charm and flattery, because we are not getting what we want. Our objective in using these behaviors is to get our way. It's a matter of motive. Kids are too young to realize that. A yellow toddler does not comprehend why the deli guy's attention is so important to him. A red fifth grader isn't able to put words around why not being chosen for the class president hurts so much. This is why we, the grown-ups, have a part to play. We can help the kids around us make sense of how their wiring affects their life experiences. And we can steer them away from signals and weaknesses and towards living in their strengths. Ideally, we don't want to wait until we see a signal to get started. Do you wait until your car is sputtering to a stop on an empty tank before you decide to fill it? No, I'm from Michigan. I learned a long time ago that you never want to be stuck on the side of the road in the winter on an empty tank of gas. You'll freeze. In the same way, you don't want to wait until the child's signals kick in before filling their innate needs. At that point, it's gone too far. The child will be showing extreme weaknesses and you'll find yourself at the end of your rope. Instead, the moment you see weakness, start filling their love tank. 
doing so may help you avoid the signals altogether. The promise that saying the right things at the right time will fix the tensions you have with your child may sound too good to be true. I tell my skeptical clients to try it, see what happens. For 30 years, I have had people walk back into my office after giving the temperaments framework a test drive and they're flabbergasted. They come back saying, it really works. I said this and she did that. It's amazing. So what do you have to lose? The next time a child frustrates you by interrupting, making decisions with no consideration of others, making another self-deprecating comment, or refusing to knock out those chores you've assigned, I want you to pause. Figure out which innate need is running low and choose to respond with words that will fill it. You can use part two of the book as a cheat sheet. It has answers to many of the common challenges you're up against when it comes to communicating with children. In the next chapter, we're gonna turn the tables and start talking about you and your temperament. If you haven't figured out your temperament already, there's an assessment in the back of the book, or you can go to kindwordsarecool.com. You'll want to take the assessment before jumping into the next chapter.